0: So thanks very much to the organisers for inviting me um, really excited about being part of this panel and I think it's, it's really nice actually to come after um, Kimberly's presentation because I also want to talk today about um, different narratives and um, as you'll see from the programme what I want to do is talk about how I use narrative interviews as a particular method as a way of understanding claims to expertise and claims to impact of um, transitional justice in Bosnia and specifically say something a little bit about um, the empirical work I did in Britschko district which is seen as being a success story of reconciliation so to try and understand how people experience this this success and what is it, how do we measure it. Um, So just a little bit of background to start, so the presentation brings together for me two main strands of research I've been quite interested in for a while now So the first is how we take methodological decisions and the implications of those decisions when we're undertaking research in post-conflict societies or transition societies. And the second is the politics of interventions in those those same contexts. Um, So very briefly I sort of started first pursuing these interests obviously as a student and I did my PhD on using theories of citizenship to critique reconciliation in Bosnia. And now, um, as Phil said, I'm based as a research fellow in Swiss Peace and I'm interested in questions around uh, resistance to transitional justice um, and political subjectivities at times of transition. Um, in all of the work that I do, I think because I like to talk about things like subjectivity, power and agency, I also really like to reflect on my own positionality as a researcher. So I also just want to say a couple of things Um, about that and maybe make some confessions or statements of interest Um, so I've only ever used qualitative uh, research methodologies I've never done mixed methods work or quantitative work Um, it's a decision an ongoing decision I suppose that I make that's based partly on the research questions obviously that I'm interested in um, but also partly on the my own ontological and epistemological assumptions that I make about the world and the context that I, I want to research So for me it's a question of um, only being able to in fact know the world through the lenses of those people who construct it um, and negotiate it sometimes in very contradictory types of ways. So I'm not, I guess as a disclaimer, I'm not seeking often objectivity in my research work. What I really want to do is to try and understand the lenses that people use in order to frame the world and their places, their multiple places within that world. So when thinking about impacts of transitional justice um, does this then therefore raise some kind of additional questions or complications perhaps? Um, Specifically in terms of when we're thinking about assessing maybe particular goals against their outcomes and and their intentions. Um, So how do I approach the topic and the questions that were set for this particular panel? Um, Well maybe it's kind of obvious but I think it's worth um, maybe saying the, the determination of impact, so deciding whether or not it's been successful, a particular intervention, obviously depends very much on the goals of that, of that particular interventional process. And these goals can obviously be explicit. They might be stated openly in, uh, in the setting up of a truth commission, for example, or in the media. Um, but they might also be implicit, related to much more hidden agendas, maybe actively, or complexities of context in which the interventions themselves take place, so often there's more of an assumption of a vacuum in operational terms rather than seeing the interventions taking place within like a complicated context um, so there is this interaction between the stated goals, the hidden goals and also the unintended impacts of particular interventions and as part of this we have actors who seek may, may seek or perhaps do seek to claim legitimate voices in these debates about impact and maybe even seek to cast themselves as say, experts, who are able to say whether or not something has been successful. So with that kind of conceptual, methodological background, I want to say something in the next section um, about claims to reconciliation success um, in Britschke District in Bosnia-Herzegovina and specifically why I chose narrative interviewing and, and how it worked as a method to try and unpick different versions of a success story and the possibility of there being counter narratives which might have been present in this society. So, to give a little bit of context, and I apologise if it's too much for people who know the context and too little for people who don't, I've gone for a balance which will inevitably please no one. Um, but, Bertschke district is in the northeast of Bosnia-Herzegovina. In the 1992-1995 Bosnian War, there were very high levels um, of violence. The pre-war population in this district was roughly 40% Bosniak, 40% Bosnian Serb, and 20% Bosnian Croat. During the war, there was ethnic cleansing, and it became majority, almost exclusively, Bosnian Serb. This was partly also due to the rehousing of displaced Bosnian Serbs from other parts of the country who were (coughs) victimised in their experiences of the war. Um, It's in a very strategic geographic location, it's on very fertile land, it connects Bosnia with Croatia and Serbia, it's on the borders. Um, And it was also, at the end of the war, um, right in the middle between the two sections of land that were controlled by armed forces and later became known as the Federation and and the Serb Republic. So because of this, a decision about what to do with the territory almost derailed the peace process in 1995, and they delayed the decision. And in 1999, the district um, gained a very special status. It has its own international supervisor. It's a population of about 70,000. Very high levels of funding, and undertook a very ambitious series of reconciliation reforms. So, for example, ethnic mixing of the judiciary, the police force, the school system, and a very well-funded returns programme which has led to quite similar levels of ethnic mixing now in the district that we saw before the war. So it's now known um, as a success story, which can act not only as a model for the rest of the country, so people from other parts of Bosnia will come to the district to see how it's done, um, but also perhaps as a success story which says something about what inter- international intervention is able to achieve in the name of transition more broadly. Um, So I did field research in in Britsgore District in 2007 and 2008 and I recently went back there last year Um, and this forms the basis of my empirical uh, work which I'm using to inform this presentation and I'm going to obviously sort of skip over a little bit and hopefully say something substantive enough about it. So uh, why did I choose to use narrative interviewing as my main um, field method when I was doing my research? So Obviously, firstly, I was working on the assumption that the meta-narrative of success um, wasn't in fact the whole story and that um wasn't adequately able to reflect and explain everyone's experiences. So I had that assumption before I went to the field. Um, I also assumed that one's perspective of success would depend very much on one's subjective positionality. And therefore, I wanted to know what different actors understood and experienced when they were living in this place that was a success. How did they experience being reconciled? I thought narrative interviewing would allow me to do this because, in theory, it focuses very much on experiences in and of the social world. People are telling stories about their experiences. But also it allows a link between particular narratives to broader contexts because the stories are told in very specific circumstances, obviously, with certain socio-historical contexts. Um, They allow access to the forms of power which allow for the telling of the story and the hearing of the story as well as the experience of the story itself so therefore we have the chronological aspect so in a narrative interview someone might tell me what happened when and in which order perhaps but we also might have the non-chronological aspect where they seek to explain that narrative and put it in a broader context for me Um, This I thought would be very helpful when I was trying to understand whether the master narrative of success was relevant for people on a day-to-day basis and to try and undercover counter-narratives. A master narrative, is it kind of does what it says on the tin. It's a a framing narrative that dominates and counter-narratives are the stories of people who maybe act and think in ways that are counter to that master narrative. They're obviously not, it's not a simple dichotomy and counter-narratives aren't kind of innocent windows into people's experiences. They're obviously interact and they're socially and culturally produced. Um, so broadly, the schema that I used in the interviews was to have preparatory questions, initiate a narration, then do some maybe prompting questions if people were nervous about continuing, they weren't sure if it was they were saying the right thing, um, and then have some kind of concluding talk it, which would include asking them if they wanted to ask me anything, for example, ask me to tell my story, which happened quite often. So how did it work in practice, and what did it tell me about the success of this particular transitional justice intervention and its impact? Um, so perhaps to start with the practical methodological challenges, because the field is is the unintended and the unexpected, despite the way that we kind of prepare and categorise before we go there. Um, So there was actually very limited understanding amongst people that I spoke to and met with of the method that I was using, particularly with my research assistant and interpreter who was really unconvinced that I was going to get any results and was quite concerned for my career when I left (laughs) because he thought I hadn't done anything particularly worthwhile. Um, and And also the narrative interviewing style often put people on edge because they were concerned they weren't being very helpful because they didn't really know what I wanted, because I didn't want to tell them what I wanted, because that was part the point of the method. But they kept asking those questions. They wanted reassurance they were being helpful, so it was difficult. Um, And sometimes gatekeepers inadvertently made it quite hard to use the method, because although I'd asked them maybe to set up an interview with one particular person, I wanted to have two or three hours to talk to them. They were like, oh, great news. I've got half of the village to come along, Um, and they can all tell you their story, and you'll know so much more about the context. So it, using it was, was obviously not unproblematic. But in the situations where it worked, which I would say was most of them, it actually worked really well for my research questions, I felt. Yeah. Um, and so maybe just to give you... How am I doing for time? Okay? Yeah, just to give you some, kind of, some quotes from the different types of narratives that I was able to, to, to generate through this um, method. So the first one, actually, just to set the meta-narrative, comes from the secondary source... And it's a quote by uh, Paddy Ashdown, who was the international supervisor in, in um, Bosnia for some time. And he said in 2003, so four years after the reforms had been impl- started to be implemented, he said, um, this city, which was once well known as a black hole, is steadily becoming a model for the whole of Bosnia. When the rest of the country accomplishes what has been accomplished here, Bosnia will be a much more developed country. So that's obviously just one example, but there are many other examples. It's illustrative of a much broader success narrative. That's what's said about the district. Um, so then I, I, I turn up with my assumptions that this isn't the whole story, and I'm very early on I'm sitting in a pub, and I, someone says, what, why are you here? And I tell them I'm doing research um, on the district. And, they say, and he turned around and said, look, we're not rabbits in a laboratory, so why don't you just go away and stop doing experiments on us? Um, And so very early on I became aware that the whole district was was a real object of reform and observation and that the very nature of being a success story made it actually really problematic to do research there and made people quite unsettled about the whole idea of being watched by others. Um, but then I didn't go home in fact and take his advice because I spent a long time preparing it, it was my PhD so I stayed but tried to be very thoughtful and sensitive to this broader context Um, so public opinion polls um, such as ones done by the United States State Department say that actually broadly people living in Butchko are very happy with what's happened, they're broadly satisfied, they see the experiment as a success Um, and many people I interviewed reinforced this narrative, it made sense for them So, for example, someone said, Britschko is an experiment, yes, but I think it's a successful experiment. Another person said, Britschko is great compared to other towns. And another person said, everybody feels equally safe here. But through much longer narrative interviews, it became clear that not everyone agreed with this success story. And importantly, through using the non-chronological aspects of the narratives, it brought to the light the many different reasons people might have for this. So in summary it wasn't necessarily because people were opposed to the reconciliation policies that were being implemented or in fact that they were opposed to the idea of living together again in ethnically mixed communities but that they in fact might just have very different types of priorities, different understandings of what reconciliation would look like so maybe it's not really a success yet and very different expectations of the transition period. So to quote from some of these uh, people someone said... There has been some progress, but generally being satisfied with it is is another thing. It's not what we hoped for or what we wanted. They built some modern buildings. Someone else said, it's more developed than the rest of the country, but it shouldn't be said that the district itself is a pseudonym for development and progress. Someone else says, I'm sick of paved roads and infrastructure. Why don't people get a job? They should make the factories work. And another person said, I think everything is too politicised to actually be seen as a positive thing, because no matter where you go, everybody is promoting equality. Either everybody is trying to come together, or they're doing it because we're told to, and I honestly don't know. And someone else said, it's not even, i.e. between the three main ethnic groups, uh, but rather politically even. So by, obviously these these excerpts are much longer narrative stories, but by having these longer uh, narrative discussions, um, I was able to have an entry point into understanding what the different aspirations might be for people about what a post-transition or a reconciled district would look like for them, and a much more nuanced understanding, for me importantly, of why people would either support or not support the reconciliation policies. Um, And so I found in this case... um, and maybe more broadly, although I'm slightly cautious about drawing those kinds of conclusions, but that the focus on impact and on success, so wanting to measure whether or not it's worked, actually created a meta narrative that really restricted any sort of public and perhaps private space for discussions about the different terms of association, and whether or not success as a relative concept had in fact been achieved, because it's no longer really an open question. Um, So... An externally directed transition, as we had in this case, um, Berkshire District then now really reflects a very particular vision of what a reconciled society would look like, i.e. this politically even society, with particular markers of success. So um, a local community project is successful if there's one Bosnian Serb, one, one Bosnian Croat, and one Bosniak in the room. One that doesn't achieve that doesn't get funding. So it's a very particular idea and it's reinforced by people who have the power to define themselves as experts like an international supervisor but also perhaps a local education minister or a head teacher of a school um, and, and they seem to have much more legitimate voices locally and internationally and the kind of the ordinary people, I don't really like that term, but the people I interviewed mainly were expected to either accept that the reforms had happened and affirm some kind of pro-reconciliation agenda or stance all they were dismissed as just being ethno-nationalist spoilers and deviants of as, as the process who would prevent any successful impact so they were a problem for, for impact um, and what I really liked about using the narrative interviews was that I thought it allowed me to really move beyond a simple dichotomy between people who were either pro or anti reconciliation um, and because that really masked everyday negotiations with quite complex questions of identification standards of living, access to resources, frustration with local politicians, and frustration with externally led agendas. I mean, I've only been able to hint at that that here. Um, And so through this kind of brief example, um, obviously I'm saying something very particular about one method used in a particular place at a particular time, Um, but I kind of have some some thoughts that maybe we could use for the broader discussion and debates and, um, and link hopefully to other people's empirical experiences. So the first one's obviously how do we as researchers, how can we know when an impact has been successful if we want to start talking about that as the transitional justice community seems to want to do so increasingly over, um, recently. But, and this question, answering this question obviously includes uh, questions over our choice of research methods, the choice of the voices we listen to and we always need to contextualise those particular claims to expertise within broader narratives and relations of power which are able to define legitimacy and expertise, and also choices over which indicators or manifestations of success we might look for when determining this. And so we really need to unpick I would say and reflect on why claims to impact and success might serve particular political ends and therefore to kind of come back full circle to the topic of the panel I would even just ask whether we're asking the right question with the panel even, so doesn't a research which focuses on impact wants to know whether or not something's been successful does that already restrict the terms of the debate and restrict our ability to construct knowledge um, but that's an open question, i leave it to everyone else. Try Thank you. <laughs>